Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, February 2nd, 2016, and I'm your host, Ariel Taylor, with my co-hosts, Lavendar and Anastasia. The next Pleiadian lineup will be in May of 2016, and we have a few spots left for the ninth Starseed Crystal Quest to Arkansas, which starts May 15th through the 21st. This is a reunion of a particular soul family, which we call the Crystal Soul Family, and it's identified by having at least one of these six star markings, either natally or progressed, 25, 26, or 27 degrees in Taurus or Scorpio, Aquarius or Leo, Capricorn or Cancer. This soul group has the rites of passage where crystals are concerned, and when they come together in Arkansas, magical things happen. If you feel the call of the crystals, but you aren't sure if you have the markings, I'd be glad to take a look at your charts and let you know. Just send me your complete birth info with the date, exact time of birth, place of birth, as well as your current location, and write to crystals, that's plural, crystals, at starseedhotline.com. We also have a weekend gathering in Arkansas coming up March 18th through the 20th, which is open to all star seeds, and it includes a crystal dig day and a day at the Quapaw Bathhouse. Please write to Tammy at starseedhotline.com for more details about the weekender. We have a very special guest with us this evening. Margaret Starbird is considered the grandmother of the millennial movement to reclaim Mary Magdalene as the bride and beloved of Jesus. Two of her books were mentioned as significant sources for the movie The Da Vinci Code. Her latest book is Mary Magdalene, Bride in Exile. Margaret holds BA and MA degrees from the University of Maryland, studied at the Christian Albrecht Universität in Kiel, Germany, and pursued further graduate studies at Vanderbilt Divinity School in Nashville. She's been interviewed for numerous TV documentaries and is the author of several widely acclaimed books reclaiming the sacred feminine in Christianity, such as The Woman with the Alabaster Jar, The Goddess in the Gospels, and Magdalene's Lost Legacy. And her website is margaretstarbird.net, and Margaret is spelled M-A-R-G-A-R-E-T, and Starbird, S-T-A-R-B-I-R-D, Net. At the top of the show, it's the Starseed News with Anastasia, bringing topics of interest to Starseeds that you won't hear in the mainstream. Um, before we bring Margaret on and after the news, our friend Holly Brettschneider is going to stop by to tell us about her upcoming journey with Claudette Thomas, May 14th through the 21st, for a seven-day women's retreat in the sacred Rennes-le-Chateau Valley of southern France where you will be guided through a deep, self-reflective process that will give you the insight and tools to transmute disharmony in your daily life, releasing you from self-sabotaging patterns and moving you into heart-centered consciousness so you can experience actual, lasting transformation. You'll be immersed in the energies of this sacred place, allowing you to feel deeply supported and nourished through the restorative movement, breathwork, meditation, and trips to local sacred sites, 
where you will be unlocking the infinite wellspring that lives within you. And we would like to thank Vanya for hosting the switchboard this evening. We have an online Starseed community at starseedhotline.ning.com. And thanks to Tammy for her dedication to the forum. You can download our show podcasts on iTunes or right from our Blog Talk Radio episode page by using the cloud with an arrow icon. We'd appreciate your support of our show, and you can do that by clicking follow on our page here at Blog Talk, and you'll get our weekly show notices so you know what's coming up. The toll-free number for Starseed Hotline is 888-881-0881. The Stage 1 Starseed confirmations are based on Lavendar's discovery of star markings and your natal astrological chart, and the Stage 2 session is a one-on-one phone session available with Lavendar, Anastasia, or myself. And remote healing sessions for people and pets are also available with Tammy. And if you have a birthday coming up, don't miss out on your 10 hours of power. You can find out when that happens by requesting your solar return timing. Now, if you want a Stage 2 interpretation of that chart, please make sure you order it at least two or three months ahead of time to make sure you get it in before your 10 hours starts. So first this evening, I want to introduce Anastasia, but I haven't got your mic open yet. Hang on, girl. <laughs> okay, it's spinning, it's spinning. You there? Okay. I'm here. Good evening, Ariel. Good, Good evening, evening Starseed listeners. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Okay, great. Good. Well, the weather is holding out for us here in this region this evening. I wasn't even sure I was going to be able to get on with the news. We're under severe alerts. Um, snowing in one region and tornadoes in the other, so it is truly um, uh, an interesting time. But it's all <laughs> on, the, on the upside, it's really, really warm outside and very lovely. Well, we've had another day of low solar activity. With no sunspots actively flaring, the sun's X-ray output has flatlined. They say the quiet is continue, likely to continue for probably the next 24 hours or so. This comes from spaceweather.com. And they're advising you to set your alarm for dawn. Now, the great Naked Eye Planet Show of 2016 is reaching its peak. For the next week, the five brightest planets in the solar system can be seen all at once in a great line stretched across the pre-dawn sky. Just above the moon, you will see Mars, and high above that, you can see Jupiter. Below the moon, in descending order, you will see Saturn, Venus, and Mercury. So check it out. It has been very, very beautiful, and tonight it peaks. So try to see that. It's really amazing. Well, scientists have filmed a rare eruption of a remote Antarctic volcano. Australian scientists have witnessed the rare eruption of an Antarctic volcano off the coast of the frozen continent. It's off of Heard Island. It's a very, very remote sub-Antarctic region. It's home to Big Ben, which is an active volcano that's believed to have only erupted three times since the turn of the century. And in sort of conjunction with that, there has been a rare, powerful magnitude 6.0 quake recorded in Antarctica. It struck around the Balleny Islands just a couple of days ago. The strong, shallow earthquake was recorded at a depth of uh, 10 kilometers. Uh, um, so th- uh, that's what's going on there. You just have to wonder if that is also connected to the volcanic eruption. Interesting. And in Russia, Kamchatka is at it again. There was a 7.0 quake in 
uh, around Kamchatka. Uh, it was a strong, deep earthquake. It was recorded by the USGS. So uh, there we go. And also in Russia, we have a, another volcano going off that's also in the Kamchatka region. It's called the Karimiski volcano. It's a huge volcano. Uh, it's in uh, the Kamchatka's eastern zone. It has been spewing ash up to three kilometers into the air. Airlines have been placed on an orange alert to, to keep out of the area. Now, this eruption, this volcanic eruption, occurred less than 48 hours after a magnitude 7.3 quake tore through the region. Now, this is near the uh, or close to the Ring of Fire, which is, as you all know, an arc of fault lines circling the Pacific Ocean. So that tells you how far east that is in Russia. And in Peru, we have uh, an interesting thing going on. Uh, El Misti Volcano. Now, the last eruption of this Misti Volcano was 2,000 years ago, according to Peru's Volcanic Authority, and they've long considered it to be dormant or asleep. But new studies by the Southern Volcano Observatory has shown that it is awake, uh, the volcano is awake, it's not dormant, and it's now emitting gases. It is currently considered the greatest risk in South America, at least in that country anyway, in Peru, as thousands of people live near its crater. Uh, there are magmatic gases, which confirms that the volcano is active and uh, that it does have magma, so they're keeping an eye on that. Another thing that calls to mind about that is, uh, to my mind, is Mount Shasta, which has been considered forever to be dormant. Uh, there may be switches on that finding as time goes along, as certainly it is well known for having swarms of volcanoes in that area. So we'll keep an eye open. Just because we think they're dormant, apparently, doesn't mean that they are, judging from this volcano in Peru anyway. And there has been a continuous tremor under Puget Sound as Washington State uh, continues to rattle since a 4.3 earthquake on the 30th of December. That's right. There's been a continuous tremor shaking Vancouver Island south toward Olympia. Now, hundreds of tremors registered across the Pacific Northwest within a 25-hour span starting last Monday. And the Pacific Northwest Seismic Network plotted 427 tremors on a map. Now, experts believe the tremor is related to the 4.3 earthquake that shook under Victoria, B.C. on the 30th of December. They don't know. But that quake, that particular quake, was the largest in the Puget Sound region since a quake occurring in 2001. Well, this is a story out of India. It's kind of cute. <laughs> a 112-year-old woman credits her longevity to smoking 30 cigarettes a day for the last 95 years. She's 112 years old. They have her picture on the Internet. And she says that she's still alive today because she smoked 30 cigarettes a day for 95 years. Now, she was born in March 1903. She took up smoking when she was 17. She claims it's her daily habit, and it's helped her outlive almost everybody else in her village and her own children. She said, I don't really care how old I am, but I am old nonetheless, and I've seen a lot of things change during my lifetime. She said, this, she said that there's a secret to living a long life other than smoking. She said people of this modern age have too much stress, and those who do not work or are idle in their old age won't live long, so you better be active and stress-free if you want to live as long as me. 
And then she said, you should always be happy, and then you will live a long life. Well, in Geelong, Australia... uh, What's that? There's a lot of wisdom in that. (laughs) Yeah, she's adorable. She's just adorable, and she looks really fit. She's lean, you know, but she looks muscular and alert, and she's got all those beautiful lines in her face. It's just an amazing thing, really. Something to really... It's just a beautiful thing. Well, in Geelong, Australia, you know they have had two months of rain in one hour uh, on the 27th, just after last week's show. Uh, The rainstorm dumped more than double the January monthly average on parts of the city of Geelong, Victoria, in just one hour. And the rain caused severe flash flooding throughout the city and suburbs. They responded to over 500 requests uh, for help and had to carry out 15 flood rescues. So two months of rain in one hour. It was a total downpour, cloudburst. Now, we've talked about the, the gas leaks in California. We're going to talk a little bit about that tonight, but check this out. In uh, Chumborazo, Ecuador, there is a mysterious burning crack that's releasing gases uh, for the last two weeks. And this is it's happening in a little village uh, situated in the Ecuadorian Andes. Now, there's a column of steam and gas that continues to emanate from this crack that opened up inside of a hill. The area has been evacuated because it's still unknown if toxic gases are released by the unexplained underground emanation. Just a lot of stuff happening underneath the earth of this, that, and the other thing, including sinkholes, which are going on a great deal as well. And in Azerbaijan, one of the largest volcanoes in Azerbaijan, uh, opened up and rumbled, uh, let's see, January 25th, just last week, the total area of the lava spill was 250 square meters. So there's another one going off. Now, we talked last week about the Zika virus and how it had uh, uh, spread to Europe. Well, laboratory testing has now confirmed that at least 31 cases of infected individuals with the Zika virus uh, who've been to risky areas abroad have now contracted this in the United States. An additional 20 cases have been discovered in the U.S. territories, uh, according to the CDC, in their announcement late last week. And uh, this just calls to mind, uh, you know, we really need to be mindful about mosquito bites. Um, If you don't want to use chemicals for uh, preventative, consider some natural uh, repellents to begin to wear in the springtime. Apparently, this is really a problem. So just be mindful of that. In fact, I did notice that something about the Zika virus was on the mainstream news this evening, so you've probably already heard about that, but uh, be mindful when mosquito season uh, rolls around. Wear some repellent. Well, we've talked about water uh, in uh, Michigan, but, you know, the Navajos have their own problems with water. They think they've been sold down the river. Navajo activists are protesting a Utah water rights deal as being very bad for them. Uh, The critics of this new settlement about water rights between the ancient Navajo Nation and Utah's government are calling it a very bad deal that's giving away the the Native Americans' precious resource. The negotiation so far waives any future claim by the Navajo Nation to water rights from the upper Colorado River in Utah. And Navajo citizens have called on their president to veto the settlement, which was approved by the Navajo Nation Council on Tuesday. So, And in Tehama County, California, they had some hailstones, 
and were they ever weird? The hailstones that fell on Saturday during a severe thunderstorm had a bizarre armor of spikes. You ought to check that out on the Internet. Uh, They were all pokey and spiky. (laughs) And uh, that wasn't the only remarkable thing about this hail. And they were calling them starfish stones, and they seemed to be composed of grafted icicles. But these hailstones tied the record for the largest hail in California in San Diego County. Their diameter was a whopping three inches from spike tip to spike tip. Three-inch hail. That's amazing. And it was sticky. That would really sting if it hit you on the head. So unusual, unusual hail. Very odd. I've never read about spiked hail before. Well, we have mentioned about the some of the earthquake uh, concerns going on in the Pacific coastline, and uh, we had mentioned, I think, about the president calling for a study or a commission for preparation. Well, now the Coast Guard uh, is prepping for the uh, possible earthquake hazards. Uh, the U.S. Coast Guard of the Columbia River went to work yesterday morning, and when they got there, they were told that they had a surprise evacuation drill. So the Coast Guard set up an incident command center uh, to uh, mimic an actual earthquake emergency. And the evacuation dr- drill was staged the day before, just today, the 316th anniversary of what scientists believe was the last Cascadia earthquake and tsunami on January 26. 1700. Well, that wouldn't be today. That would be a few days ago. But January 26, 1700, 316 years ago. And uh, let's see here. Hold on here. I scrolled too fast. Okay. All right. Here we go. (laughs) You know, we've talked about the Murrays along the Gulf of of, of Alaska, the seabirds that are dying Mm -hmm. off. Well, there's mm-hmm. been another article about this. It comes from Alaska Dispatch. They're telling us that the mass of dead seabirds that have washed up on Alaska beaches in the past months is unprecedented in size, in scope, and in duration. A preliminary survey in Prince William Sound has already turned up more than 22,000 dead Murrays, making the die-off exceptionally large in geographic scale, and they say that it's the worst ever. They do not know what's causing this, folks. And guess who is the Nobel Peace Prize candidate? I think this is pretty amazing. It's Edward Snowden. That's right, U.S. whistleblower and former spy agency contractor. Edward Snowden is among the top candidates for the 2016 Nobel Peace Prize, which is awarded, as you know, in Oslo, Norway. Snowden began leaking classified intelligence documents in June of 2013. He did reveal the extent of the NSA's spying activities, including massive collections of phone records of Americans and foreign nationals, as well as political leaders around the world. Now, the U.S. government has filed espionage charges against Snowden, who's been granted asylum in Russia. But those that are uh, in the know about the Nobel Peace Prize, those on the committee say that that Edward Snowden is their top candidate. Uh, as a Peace Prize uh, potential. So there you go. Wow. Wow. That just tells you how internationally people feel that he has done a great service. Indeed. Right, And I I thought you all should know about that. Well, we talked about the water in Flint, Michigan, and you know what's going on. This is really something. 
due to the inaction of state and federal officials. Thousands of people in Flint have been exposed to unsafe levels of lead in their water, but now a wonderful group of union plumbers are taking matters into their own hands. 300 plumbers from unions across the country uh, landed up in Flint to offer to install new faucets and water filters for the residents for free. Wow. Isn't that awesome? I love it. That's awesome. And, you know, tattoos are the thing nowadays. This has occurred maybe in the last mm, 12, 14 years. Just about everybody has tattoos. Well, apparently a tech company called Chaotic Moon is looking to take advantage of these, oh, they say 20% of human beings who already have a love of tattoos. Uh, what they are going to develop is a dual-purpose tattoo, which is going to be comprised of electroconductive ink. It will be embedded with sensors and microchips. And they are saying that this product is so desirable because, quote, with the tech tattoo, you can carry all your information on your skin. And when you, when you want your credit card information or your ID, you can pull that up automatically through the system. Oh, my God. Wow. Oh, my God. People have been talking about that for 25 years anyway, and here it is, coming forward. I've been wondering what's up with all this tattoo stuff, why that's being pushed so much. You know, so much of what is popular is often we popular put a, because it is. We had to put a barcode on your head. Well, you know, that's just it. They don't have to use a barcode. Now they can put it in a picture. Well, that's what I am saying. Absolutely. It is absolutely a barcode is exactly what it is. But where people would reject a barcode, they will more than willingly line up for a, a butterfly tattoo or something. And it has, serves the same purpose. So very interesting, as I say. I had been wondering what all this thing with the tattoos yeah. was about because people tend to follow what they're sort of pushed into. And it's very convenient. So now it's all set up. If you just don't want to carry a wallet or a purse anymore, you can get a pretty tattoo and carry all your information on your arm. Okay, you may be my guest. (laughs) To make a comment that might not be too appropriate, but um, (laughs) never mind. Oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I want to talk to you for a second about the uh, uh, L.A. County methane leak. I'm telling you what the news that's coming about that out about that is like makes your hair stand up. Um, California Governor Jerry Brown has declared a state of emergency over this large uh, Southern California gas leak that's happening in Los Angeles County, and as you know, this has led to months of protests and the displacement of thousands of families. Uh, now, this leak of the Southern California Gas Company's Aliso Canyon storage field began on October 23rd and has steadily leaked 62 million cubic feet of methane into the air every single day. And that's according to an estimate by the Environmental Defense Fund. Well, other reports coming out, additional reports, which interestingly enough I couldn't include on tonight's news because I found it the other day. I earmarked it to put in tonight's news, and when I went to find it, I couldn't find it. It was a not-found file. But what the file, what this uh, report said is that it is so dangerous that they're really worried about sparks from automobiles. Um, They say any type of ignition source could create a mass explosion. Uh, I would expect that somebody probably put that up and then took it down. You know how they don't want people to panic. But it is of great concern, and so... 
uh, it appears to be advancing. We really don't know where this is going to take us, folks. And we have to wonder about what all those thousands of people who have had to leave their homes, are man- how they're managing. You know, they work in the in the surrounding area. Uh, some of them may not be able to work. I don't know. It's just really a problem for a whole lot of people. And for those of you that live in that region, I'm really very sorry you're going through that. It's really tough. Well, our quote of the week. We all have the power to shape our day and our life. So no matter what is happening in our lives, we can make the decision to be happy and to enjoy every moment. There's always an upside. So hang on, hold out, and keep on shining. That's what it's all about. Y'all have a beautiful week. I give you love from my heart to yours, and that'll be it for tonight's Starseed News. Thank you, Ariel. Thank you so much, Anastasia. We appreciate all the work you put into the news. So uh, we are going to be bringing Margaret Starbird on in just a couple of minutes here. But um, first I'm going to get Lavendar um, online here. Get your mic open, Lavendar. And, and Holly, I'm coming to you next. Okay. So Holly and Lavendar, um, have uh, Holly has an announcement to make. So Lavendar, you want to go ahead and um, introduce Holly? <coughs> Well, Holly was one of our questers to the Starseed Quest in Arkansas, and then she um, went there, uh, I guess, uh, a, a few months back. I miss seeing her there, but she's very, very fond of our Arkansas Quartz Crystal uh, place. And um, she's been talking to me for some time about doing doing tours to France, and so finally I said, you know, maybe you ought to just put one together and come on our show and tell you know, the starseed um, people about what you're doing. So, Holly, welcome. Thank you, Lavender, and thank you, Ariel. I am so thrilled to be here, and I about fell off my chair when I saw who the host or the guest is tonight. It just couldn't be better lined up because we are going to the heart of Mary Magdalene country in Rennes-le-Chateau in the south of France in May over Pleiadian lineup, as it turns out. It just sort of worked out that way. And, um, yeah, Lavender, you've been telling me for years now in my solar return readings and with Claudette, like, I just, I see you. Are you taking tours to France and doing work with women? <laughs> so it's here. We're doing it. So we are really, really excited. We um, have put together a really amazing week-long retreat for women in uh, Rennes-le-Chateau in an amazing retreat center called Le Labadou that sits at the very base of the village of Rennes-le-Chateau. And it's, uh, the energies in that area are off the charts. Um, but more than that, we are wanting to weave in kind of the principles of Mary Magdalene and the energies of that area into this retreat. Like how do we not just see the area and feel the energies, but how do we anchor them in and embody them in a way that really makes for real lasting transformation in our lives? So that's what Claudia and I, the work that we do in the world, is devoted to, is transformation through creating harmony in ourselves and our businesses and things like that. So we've got this retreat that we're calling Grace and Ease. And, And when you think about it, I mean, that is our natural state. And that's the message that Mary Magdalene was bringing to the world along with Jesus was that that harmony of the divine feminine and the sacred masculine. And um, the true core essence of us is just pure divinity and abundance and joy, but it's 
been so covered up by all these layers of conditioned programs and stories that we're believing and stories we're telling ourselves about who we are that just aren't true. So just like the divine feminine is sort of rising up and joining the masculine in divine harmony, that's what we're all about in this retreat is really taking this um, group of women. There's um, a small group, no more than 15 people that are going to be getting together and just each day sitting together and going through some of the work that Claudette does and her work in Costa Rica and the work that I do with my clients and, and really bringing about like having people understand and experience how they can get to that place of grace and ease and harmony and giving them the tools that they can take back home with them to do it and running out on excursions in the Rennes Chateau Valley and really experiencing these amazing places around there. So, And we put it together for a really amazing rate, too. It's, it's really unbelievable what we've been able to do. Full accommodations, room and, um, and meals, and um, all of this work and these excursions for a really a price of half what no- normally these sacred France retreats go for. So we're really thrilled to be here to share it with all of you. Tell us a little bit about Claudette and how you came to know Claudette. Yeah, so we came, I think it was your second ever Crystal Quest retreat. In the first year you were holding them, she and I met there and just had a resonance, had a connection, and we just, we ended up like laughing hysterically half the time and just really um, bonding there. And we've stayed in touch ever since. And we've seen each other through the roller coaster ride of the process that we've all been going through over the last four years. And um, and she, we realize more and more, like, we do such similar work in the world. She uh, is a lead facilitator in a healing center in Costa Rica and works with individuals in group settings. And I work with business leaders. Um, to get to the same, we're using the same approaches. Who are you at your core? What are the stories you're telling yourself? So uh, Claudette's been doing that work in Costa Rica for the last 10 years. She's been doing this kind of um, facilitation and this transformation work for really her whole adult life. So, um, yeah, we've just been, even just the process of pulling together how we want to do the retreat in a very sort of heart-centered, feminine way it's really been amazing. We're so in sync. We're, we're so on the same level. And just that, we feel like Mary Magdalene's just right there on our shoulder kind <laughs> of guiding us through this. So, Well, b- both, of you, both of you are Sagittarians, so you're going to be all fired up. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, tell us again uh, the, uh, the dates and, and give your website or how yeah, they can contact so, you. Yeah, the dates are May 14th the 21st. It's a Saturday to a Saturday. And we have all the information on a, a website that is um, you can find at graceandease.us or .us. Say that again. Say that again. Grace, Grace, G-R-A-C-E and A-N-D, Eve, E-A-S-E, dot U-S. Okay, good. Well, for those of you that are listening that have been thinking about taking a trip to France to have this experience, walking the walk with with uh, Holly and Claudette will be uh, another adventure for you to be looking at. So, Holly, thank you so much for contacting me and letting me know that you're doing this and that um, we're certainly here to help you um, to advertise this on our Starseed Radio show. And if you need to come back on again and talk about it, we'll be happy to have you. Well, we so appreciate you. Thank you so much. 
I, we really we would not be where we are right now doing this without you. <laughs> so thank you very much, Lavendar. Okay. Well, good luck to you. So back to you, Ariel. Okay. Thanks, Holly. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So I am going to um, bring Margaret. Where did you Oh, there you <laughs> The switchboard is getting rather full, so I had trouble finding you. Hello, Margaret Starbird. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Arielle. I'm happy to be here. Oh, great. And um, Lavendar, I'm going to let you kick it off here. And um, take First it away. of all, I want to apologize to you, Margaret. I have been knowing about you for years, and I just never took the time to find you. So oh my it's goodness. like after I realized that uh, when I when this book was sent to me, I said, "Oh my goodness, she wrote this in 1998." And I heard about it then, and and then I put it away, and 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 now it's perfect timing, I guess. <laughs> so it's like I, f- I feel like you're a cosmic sister that I've just been it's been circling the wagons with me for some time. Is what I'm trying to say. Well, I'm glad you found the book, and I'm happy to be um, in contact, and hope we can enjoy our conversation. Now, I guess the book you you're talking about was another book uh, called The Women in the Alabaster Jar. Yeah, that was my first book. 1993 was published. Oh, with, see? Um, oh, my goodness. That one's I guess five that's years how older. long I've been, been looking <laughs> yeah. at your, your work off and on. So with these two books, I'm sure that you have come to some kind of really grand alignment for uh, telling us what you have discovered. So why don't we just start out by saying, why did you first become interested in the search for the Holy Grail and in, in reclaiming the sacred feminine in Christianity. It's such a long story. I guess it started in my very roots. I was um the I was the only daughter in a family of four brothers in a military family that was like three generations of military. Wow. And so it was it's sort of like being in the desert and not knowing it. It's it's strange that um how it's all come out later in my life how how I longed for for the waters if you will. And I was born Catholic. I raised, actually, not born, but raised Catholic in this wonderful family. And we traveled all over the world, did interesting things. I belonged to a prayer group in West Point when my husband was stationed up there as an um, engineering instructor, nuclear engineering of all things. I mean, talk about this military generations. It's just generations of people serving the country but doing it on uh, in, in uniform, if you will. So my husband was stationed up there, and I belonged to a prayer group. And in our prayer group, we were shown that there was something missing from the foundations of the Christian story. But we had no idea what we what it was. We thought it had something to do with the feminine. And we, of course, realized that we had, a in the Catholic Church, we had a male hierarchy and a male priesthood, and, and women were sort of second fiddle. But it wasn't until we prayed about it for years. And then a friend of mine came to visit me, I guess, in... I'm going to say 1983, and she had just read Holy Blood, Holy Grail. Do you know that book, Lavender? Yes. Oh, yes. The I, Holy I Blood, did Holy Grail. Back. Okay. Oh. So, mm-hmm. all those years ago. Well, anyway, she she told me I needed to read this book because I was so uh, enthusiastic about Christianity and about Jesus and about the way that Jesus taught us to serve others and and all the things that go into Catholic upbringing, I guess. Um, she wanted me to read this book, Holy Blood, Holy Grail. So I went to the library, and on the front it said that 
uh, it just said Holy Blood, Holy Grail, I guess. And on the back, when you read more, it said that Jesus was probably married and that his wife and child had survived in Western Europe after the crucifixion. Well, you can imagine I was pretty horrified because I had been this very Orthodox Catholic all this time with five kids of my own and the whole thing. And I thought, that can't be true. And I almost dropped the book. I was so eager to get away from the library and forget it. But then after praying about it for several years and and finally going back to the library and reading the whole book, I realized that there was something in the story that we needed to get come to grips with, and that's the idea that, that there was a marriage at the heart of the Christian story and that the the wonderful Virgin Mary that we had always honored and, and prayed to as Catholics over many years was a beautiful representation of the feminine, but it wasn't the whole story, and that, in fact, Jesus being Jewish in those years in the first century when marriage was an absolute cultural imperative, there was no way he could have avoided being married without someone have noticing that. And nobody um, nobody castigated him for breaking the Jewish law that required males to be married. So anyway, I went I finally decided to do the research and um the long, did the story of that this whole um revelation, if you will, is actually written up in the book that you read, the 1998 edition, Goddess in the Gospels. That's mm-hmm. actually the story of my journey with my prayer community trying to figure out what God was trying to show us about the lost feminine in the Christian story. And uh, a friend of mine told me that she didn't want to, th- one, of, one of my friends in the community, the Emmanuel community, told me that the church would have told us if, if Jesus had been married, and so I should really forget about this. And I and then she told me to pray about it. So when I prayed about it one day in my living room, I I asked God to show me in my scriptures something that would throw light on this whole subject. I said I'll throw the book in the trash or in the fire, and burn it like my friend wants me to do. But first I need to know what you want me to know. And I opened my Bible to the page that said New Testament Revised Edition, and I thought. Oh my gosh, what does that mean? Does it mean there's something in the New Testament in the in the Gospels that needs to be revised? And so I said, "Lord, can you throw more light on that?" And to make a long story short, I opened to another passage in the scripture in the second book of Kings, I think it is, and it said, "Restore my wife whom I espouse to me." Now, wow. some people, yeah, I know. I I felt like I had my marching orders. And I still didn't want to believe it, but I thought there's no way I could have, that that I could have gotten this answer to my request if it if it didn't have something in there that I needed to actually take seriously. And anyway, so I called my friend, and she didn't want to believe it either. But she called me back three days later, and she had also received confirmation that that this uh, design flaw of Christianity, of the whole story, was the lost bride. It was as if the first heresy was the denial of the bride. Yeah. So we went on with that. Um, I, I promised I would research it. She told me because I had all the tools, being uh, having had graduate school in comparative literature and all the all the academic background, that I should be the one to go and research it. And she would stay home and pray for me. So about that time, my husband got orders from Virginia to Nashville. And if if you don't want to be a heretic in Virginia, you sure don't want to be one in Tennessee. So <laughs> I was a little bit up a creek there. But I what I did was, um, and of course we're talking back back in the 80s now. This is like 30 years ago. So 
I finally got enrolled in Vanderbilt Divinity School and used their library to do some of my research. And I found wonderful things there, including uh, books by Dr. William E. Phipps, who was a, a clergyman, a Protestant clergyman, who wrote a book called Was Jesus Married? and another one about the sexuality of Jesus. And it was his firm conviction that, that the sociology of Judaism required males to marry back in the time that Jesus walked, and that if there was a bride, it had to be the woman most mentioned in the scripture as his follower, Mary Magdalene, who was with him at the cross at the tomb and is actually um, equated in, in Catholic theology with Mary, the sister of Lazarus. So anyway, the whole story is written up in the book that you said you just read, the one called The Goddess and the Gospels. Well, when I was in um, Vanderbilt Divinity School, one of the first classes I took was a class called uh, an Interpretation of the Gospels. And we were told on the first day that we had to write a paper, 12 or 15 page of paper, um, based on some passage in Scripture. So I went home, and after a few days thinking about it, I said, okay, Lord, why don't you show me what passage in Scripture you'd like me to pick? It had to be from the Gospels, which are sort of toward the back of the Bible. So I opened my Bible toward the back, and I looked down, and I was in the um, Gospel of Mark, chapter 13, and it said, a woman with an alabaster jar came to Jesus while he was seated at a banquet in Bethany, and she broke the jar and poured its contents on his head. And the apostles were angry because of the wasted value of the perfume. But Jesus said, She has done this as a favor to me, and wherever this story is told, it shall be told in memory of her. So that was the scripture that I, was, that I had um, known about all my life, but I didn't realize how important it was. Well, when I started researching it for, for the paper... I realized that that same story is in all four Gospels, and there are only four or five stories that occur in all four Gospels. Most of the stories occur in three Gospels or two, but not in four. For example, the birth of Jesus only occurs in two Gospels, and the uh, establishing the Holy Eucharist only occurs in three Gospels. So there are very few stories that are important enough to be in all four Gospels, yet we have an anointing by a woman at a banquet and that story occurs in all four gospels. So wow. that was the that was the story, yeah, and that was the story I had opened to this day when I was asking God what kind of what passage I should pick for my paper. So then I wrote up the paper. Well, along the way I discovered that this anointing by a woman is part of the rites of the ancient uh passion of the sacred king, the death and sacrifice of the sacred king that has has neolithic roots. It goes all the way back to the great goddess cults where the representative of the goddess would pick her mate and they would be united in a marriage feast early in the year, like around the first of the year, as a, a, the hieros gamos, they called it. So they're uh, united in marriage and the joy from the bridal chamber spreads out into the crops and herds and makes everything fertile. Okay, so then later in the season, the king is arrested, tortured, mutilated, executed, laid in a tomb, and his bride on the third day goes to the tomb to mourn his death and finds him resurrected in the garden. And so this is an ancient ritual, if you will, or liturgy that recurs in various different um, cults, if you will, of kings and gods of the ancient world. 
we have the story of Tammuz and Ishtar, um, Inanna and Damuzi, um, Kibeli and Addis. I mean, there's, I can't even name them all. Isis and Osiris. I'm sure you're familiar with these as well. But this is it's an ancient myth of the death of the god and the goddess as his uh, bride finding him resurrected in the garden. So I thought, when I read that, I thought, my goodness, this is what we're seeing. The very beginning of the passion story is actually the anointing of the king by the woman with the alabaster jar. Wow, that just so gives eventually, me chills. Yeah. I'm sorry? It gives me chills when you talk yeah. about this. Well, That's just, yeah, yeah. It's you're an ancient, so right on story. with everything you're saying. And, and, and when you were uh, investigating this, uh, how, how were you with your family and people close to you? Were you telling them what you were doing, or were you keeping this a secret? Well, I had this Emmanuel community, the, my prayer community, and I was still in contact with them. So I, I had let them know, and, I, and one woman in particular with whom I was very close was a Jungian scholar herself. So we shared a lot of this stuff along the way. My husband was never Catholic, so he didn't have a problem with this. He was he was interested from a historical point of view, but he, it didn't shake his faith at all. But but um, my friend and I were really kind of devastated in the beginning when we when we figured out that that this church had forgotten to tell us something. It was like, uh, what else is under these rugs that we don't know about yet? And so we were um, we went through kind of a chaotic. Uh, awakening, if you will. I even had a nervous breakdown over it for a while, and like a, a three-day period over Christmas one year, and, and I got out of the hospital just before Christmas, I guess Christmas Eve, and tried to put myself back together again. But it was really devastating to know that, I mean, we, we'd been flying around trusting that the priests who had nurtured us in our Catholic faith all those years had told us the truth and the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And then suddenly to have that all whisked away from us was... Um, pretty shocking and pretty scary but as we put it back together we we realized well what is what's the good of a faith that isn't true so we might as well find out what the truth is so we can build on that and i have come over the years to realize that the truth is actually the sacred union at the heart of the story and that the bride was denied but that all these two thousand years of christian history we should have had that as our model for life and for life for our society a partnership model uh, imaging god and imaging the divine as male and female not just masculine you know it's not like a a celibate son and a virgin mother has been our model for life are you kidding yeah it's it's time (laughs) to get the the model right and the reason that the the that christianity has been so flawed over the years in many ways is because it was cracked from the beginning and this model was lost in the cradle and if if we'd had the partnership model as it was expressed in the early Christians, you know, Paul has in his letters, he's he's the first witness to Christianity, and he talks about the brothers of Jesus who were all traveling with their sister wives. He calls them sister wives. They're they're their partners in their ministry. Married couples traveling in ministry in the first century early Christian community. Well, where have we seen that lately? You know, it's it was it took the Protestant Reformation to get it back because they had gone on with celibate priests for so many centuries. Anyway, it, it's a long story. <laughs> but <laughs> and, and you've written um, it so well. I wanted to ask you what you have learned about the daughter, the daughter of Jesus and Mary oh, Magdalene. Sarah. 
Sarah. We called her Sarah. Okay, so here's the here's the funny story. One night, I was headed out. Um, oh, I went on a carpool, I guess. And on my way home, I said, "Lord, I'm not going to do this grail work anymore." This was in Nashville, and I'd already had my nervous breakdown, and I had five kids, soccer pool, carpools, you know, all the things that go on in a family of lots of kids. And I said, "I can't do this grail thing because it's keeping me up at night. I'm not. I'm not." able to function very well. I'm getting distracted. Why don't you find someone braver than me to take on this grail work, and I'll just forget about it. Put it on a shelf in heaven, the the grail, and let someone else do this work. And when I got home, my husband said, well, we need to go downtown. We're having dinner with guests. And, and they turned out to be from France. And so I sat next to a woman from France who told me all about the Christian community, the legends of Mary Magdalene bringing the Holy Grail to France. And she told me about little Sarah, the little girl on the boat. And I said, who is she? And she said, oh, she was the servant of the family on the boat. And I said, really? So I went home at later uh, next day and I looked up Sarah. And Sarah, the little girl on the boat, St. Sarah they call her, and she's supposedly Sarah the Egyptian and she's black at the shrine of St. Sarah in France. But the little girl on the boat has the name Sarah, which means princess in Hebrew. And I thought to myself, you know, there's only one child on the boat, and its name is Princess in Hebrew. It's pretty odd that she's the servant. Well, then I remembered Cinderella as well. Cinderella was supposed to be the servant of her relatives in the uh, fairy tales that we have. But really, she was a princess, right? Or she was, she was uh, anyway, she was special and married this handsome prince, and everyone lived happily ever after. So the whole point here is that on the little boat that we have the legend of Mary Magdalene bringing the Holy Grail to the coast of France, and by the way, there's this little dark girl on the boat named Sarah. So So how long was it before you jumped on an airplane and went to France? Oh, I'd already been there. Oh, you'd already been been there? there Yeah, I had been there. I hadn't realized how important it was, but I went back... Um, you know, it's it's interesting. My my work is inner work, a lot of it. So I don't have to be there to know, although I have been to that shrine now two or three times, and I've stood in the waves when they had the Feast of St. Sarah on the 24th of May every year. The gypsies carry her effigy from the church in the crypt, and they bring it up out of the crypt and carry her effigy with, with horses and regalia of all the gypsies and the whole town turns out and all the tourists from America and everywhere and they all go and stand in the waves and, and the horses are standing there and the effigy of St. Sarah and everyone says Viva Saint Sarah and they're excited to to, rec- to re- remember that Sarah came from a faraway land and brought the gospel to France well she was with Mar- the two Marys who were also uh, enshrined in that same location at Saint Marie de la Mer um what part uh, of Mary France Jacobi. are you talking What's the name of the town again, and what part of uh, France that, is that? Okay. It's on the shore. Um, it's west of Marseille. I can't remember how many miles, maybe a couple hundred or 150. And it's on the shore, the Gulf, the uh, shore of the Mediterranean. It's a, a little village where the gypsies have their festival every year. And the basilica there is Our Lady of the Sea. And in the crypt is the statue of St. Sarah. And then up above, it's a, uh, on the main floor, is a, uh, a hanging above the altar of the a blue boat with the statues of the two Maries, Marie Jacobi and uh, Marie Salome, who are the two Marys who were relatives, supposedly, 
who traveled with them. So if somebody so, types so, in Google that information that you just said, they'd be able to find it? Yeah, Saint-Marie-de-la-Mer. It's okay. uh, a town in the south of France on the coast, and it's the effigy of St. Sarah, the statue. And she's black. She's called Sarah the Egyptian. Wow. And she's black. Well, you know, one day I was praying about this, and I said, okay, where are we getting this um, blackness of St. Sarah? And I opened my scripture. Again, the book of Lamentations in the Hebrew Bible in chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. It says, The kings of Judah, whose faces were once black as soot, I mean, once white as milk, are now black as soot. They are not recognized in the streets. And I realized that after they were in exile, no one knew who these people were. And so they painted her black because she was an unknown. She was hidden. And it's the hidden uh, line of the family who were once the princes of Israel, which would be the the line of King David, of which Jesus is supposed to have been a, uh, a scion. And then, of course, his child would have also been a scion of that same family. Anyway, but that's the most speculative of all my all the things I ever found was the idea that the 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 surviving child was a daughter. We don't know, but that's what the legend tells us is that this child named Princess was on the boat, and that that somehow they brought the Grail. Well, what is the Grail? The San Graal is actually not a cup, but it's actually the royal bloodline that survived in Western Europe. If you take that S-A-N-G-R-A-A-L, that word with eight letters that represents the old French word for the Holy Grail, if you divide it after the N, you have Holy Grail. But if you divide it after the G, it means blood royal. And what is the blood royal of Israel? Well, it's the it's the line of the Davidic kings. Right. And Jesus and Mary Magdalene apparently also. So I oh, wanted really to uh, tell you that I, I kind of have a way of sometimes just taking a book and going, okay, one, two, three, I'm going to open the page, and on this page yeah. it's going to be a message for me. So right. just before our interview tonight, I did that. And I opened to page five, uh, where it says Pilgrim in Province. And it says right underneath, Luke 19:40. I tell you, if these kept silent, the stones will cry out. And I got to thinking about the coated crystals and things that we've been working with throughout the years in Arkansas and, and different places. And then I, I I scanned down to the bottom of the page, and, it, and you had written, it was May 18, 1996, and I was on a pilgrimage to sacred sites of Mary Magdalene. And it's like, wow, that's what we call Pleiadian lineup, because on May 18th, the sun is 26 Taurus, which is in alignment with the Pleiades, and it seems to be the Pleiadians that are really pushing for the truth of all this information about Jesus, Mary Magdalene, René Le Chateau, and all the people that seem to be coming forward now about the, this truth. So yeah. when I saw that, that you were on this trip on that date, I thought, wow. You want to <laughs> know what really else happened on the strong. 18th of May? On the 18th of May, in that in that same book that you're looking at, The Goddess in the Gospels, the 18th of May, 1980, was the date when Mount St. Helens blew up out here in the Puget Sound area, just south of uh, Puget Sound and halfway to uh, Portland, actually. But Mount St. Helens was, uh, in, in my interpretation, it was the uh, symbol, I guess, or a metaphor for the Roman Catholic Church that was going to implode from within, and Spirit Lake was poured out into the terrain all around. 
the Mount, Mount St. Saint Helena was the mother of Constantine, and he's supposed to have been the person who made Christianity the religion of the Roman Empire. Right. And it was his mother who prayed for him to become a Christian, which he did on his deathbed finally. But St. Helena, it's then just the name of the mountain gave me the idea, okay, so this is it's a, a story of the institutional church. And I had no idea that the pedophilia and other uh, sex scandals in the Christian, in the Catholic Church were going to actually rock it to its core over the next 20 years. But but the fact that it, it imploded and poured Spirit Lake out into the ground was just so uncanny, and it happened on the 18th of May. Yeah. And I looked, I, well, it was the Pope's 60th birthday, among other things, which helped me to realize that they were talking about the Catholic Church. And then the next week, it, it gave a smaller eruption, and that was on Pentecost, which is the feast of the when the Holy Spirit came down upon the church in the Book of Acts. And then it, on the third time it erupted and sent up smoke, it was a much smaller manifestation, but it was the Feast of Mary Magdalene. And that was one of the things that really riveted me, was that somehow this whole implosion of the church had something to do with Mary Magdalene. Well, it was because of a feminine being denied. All of this stuff that was going on among the priests was because there wasn't any feminine influence anywhere. So anyway, it's it's um, it's a long story, as I said. There's a whole chapter on that in the in that book that you were looking at. I'd love it. The you know, back the I was living in Florida back in 1979 and 80, and um, I had something happen on February 16th uh, of 1980 that just kind of blew my mind. And part of it was showing me the eruptions of Mount St. Helen on May 18th. I had wow. future uh, knowledge of that. Wow. When you just said what you said, woo, I just uh, yeah. I got goose pimples all over me. <laughs> Yeah, well, that makes it, it's so a, much sense uh, now why they shared that with me at that time. I wanted to ask you, where does the title The Magdalene come from? Oh, The Magdalene, actually, it's um, comes from the word Magdala, which means tower. So this woman is, is called the tower. But the ending is special because of uh, the gematria, which is the coding numbers, and I don't want to go on uh, all into that. I have a whole book on that, too, if anyone's interested, Magdalene's Lost Legacy. But in the Goddess of the Gospel book, I do talk about the gematria of her name, but it comes the, the uh, reference comes from, I believe, a passage in the Old Testament from the book of Micah, and it addresses the Magdal Ader, the tower of the flock. The tower of the flock. It has... Um, Ancient roots, I think this this passage is 700 B.C. is about the date of the passage in Micah. And it says, As for you, O Magdalater, watchtower of the flock, through wow. you dominion shall be restored. Why are you crying? Have you no king? Has your counselor perished that you mourn aloud like a woman in labor? Go now and dwell in the open fields. To Babylon you will go, and from there you shall be rescued. Nations will defile you. They will call you unclean. That's the whole story of Mary Magdalene, all summed up in four lines, 700 years before the birth of Christ. Wow. I mean, that's a a prophetic passage. And I think what happened was the people who knew her and knew that she was the bride of Jesus realized that this was 
this passage was prophetic of what happened to her, and so they gave her a title that threw back to that passage, that pointed back to it, the Magdalator. So they called her Magdalene, which means of the tower, I guess, in a way. That's, I mean, that it gives her that tower thing. But it goes back, that, I think the, the passage goes, I mean, the, uh, the reference goes back to this Old Testament passage in the book of Micah, chapter 4. Oh, Magdalene, why are you crying? And the same thing when she goes to the tomb on Easter morning, the the people in the tomb, the, the angels or whoever is there, and also Jesus himself says, why are you crying? That's, I mean, it's what she does. Her uh, Her whole story is tied up with her tears. She cries over her brother Lazarus, and Jesus is moved by her tears to raise her brother Lazarus from the dead in the Gospel, the Gospel of John, chapter 11. She cries over Jesus' feet when she anoints him. In the, at the banquet, and she cries at his tomb. So, I mean, she's she's always in tears about something, but it go, all goes back to this, Magdalena, why are you crying? Have you no king? It's the bride crying at the tomb of the sacrificed king. And it goes back to those ancient mythologies of the goddess, the goddess cults, where the bride cries over the bridegroom at the tomb. Oh. So what yeah. happened to Mary Magdalene after the crucifixion of Jesus? Well, who knows? The legend says she went to, to um, that she left. Obviously, the story quits right after the death of Jesus and the resurrection on Easter morning. Suddenly, she disappears. The Book of Acts never mentions her, and the Epistles of Paul never mention her. So you don't have a story of Mary Magdalene anymore after the end of the Gospels. Don't you think Something the Catholic Church happened, has so the true story and it's in the basement? Well, it's possible that the true story is in the archives, but the legends say that she went to the shores of France. Yeah. And they're very early. So we can kind of get the idea. A lot of the people did flee at the persecutions. Remember, Paul persecuted Christians before he was converted. So there was a huge um, emphasis on, on rooting out this faith early on because it included slaves and, and everybody in a in a broader sense rather than being um, sanctioned by Rome. It wasn't the the cult of the Roman Caesar anymore. It was this cult of this crucified Jewish king, and they didn't like it, so they wanted to root it out, and that's why they persecuted the early Christians. And, and a lot of them fled, and some fled to the east and north, and others went west across the water, and some ended up in France. So that's where the story germinates, if you will. It, it come, They come ashore in a boat with no oars, blown by the wind, I guess, after a storm. And they show up on the shore in a place that was sacred to Ra, or, let's see, Ray, to the goddess Ray, I guess, not not the the Egyptian god, but the goddess. And then they make their home there in the little place called St. Mary's by the Sea. So Leonardo da Vinci, he had a painting called The Last Supper, uh, tell us a little right. bit about what you think happened with that painting and Mary. Oh, okay, that's important too. All right, so do we have time? I don't know what the timing is of this. Okay, so here's the story. Yeah, we have Mary, time. Uh, Leonardo da Vinci is um, Renaissance, 1498, I think, is the Last Supper painting. And he, of course, we know he was brilliant and did a lot of interesting things. And one day I saw... Uh, one of those documentaries about the Da Vinci Code, 
I'm wondering, it was on Dateline, I think, and I've forgotten, and Stone Phillips, was it Stone Phillips talking to an art critic, and they were laughing at the mere idea that Leonardo had hidden any um, secret codes or heretical symbols in his painting. They were laughing about it, and I thought, you idiots, <laughs> you don't know the half of it. So here's the story. I t- when I, um, well, Dan Brown did the, another thing that was also silly. He said that the V shape between Jesus and Mary Magdalene there was actually the grail. And I thought, well, the V represents the feminine, but that's not the grail. If you look at the the uh, picture or the painting of the Last Supper, if you look over the head of the saint on the left-hand side, far left side, in a paint in this painting after it was renovated it was renovated between 70 uh, 1977 and 1999 so there's a 20 year period where they didn't take pictures of it because it was being fixed and now since 99 any painting anytime they take a photo of that painting up on the left corner left hand side you're going to see a chalice it's floating there above the head of the saint on the far left side so I took the liberty of printing this thing out from my computer, and then I took an arrow and I drew a line from the cup of the chalice above Bartholomew's head, and I drew that line all the way down across the page to the far right-hand corner of the picture, which has a knot in the tablecloth, because a knot, a gratuitous knot in a painting of that period is means that the painting is dedicated to the secret tradition of Mary Magdalene the secret tradition that Jesus was married and and a father, okay? Wow. That he was fully human, human and married, I guess. Fully human and married is, is the idea. They don't really stress the child, but the idea is that he's fully human and married. Okay, so I drew a line through the painting all the way to the to the knot, and the cup, the chalice is floating, right? It's up at the top. And the, the line went through the hand of Peter, which goes across Mary Magdalene's neck, cutting off her throat chakra. And, of course, we know from the Gnostics that the Peter's church tried to silence Mary Magdalene's church and her friends. So they silenced the feminine. Okay? So that line passes through Peter's hand across her throat, and then it goes into Jesus' left hand, which is a symbol for the feminine. The left hand of God is the feminine. And it goes down into this knot in the tablecloth. So what is... Leonardo actually saying in this painting. Oh, oh yes, and the ratios are one to one to two, which is the Fabianacci sequence, which is the symbol for life. Okay? So Leonardo knew all this, and he put it all in this painting. There's no chance that this is an accident. So he's got the grail floating up above the head of Bartholomew. What is he saying? He's saying the cup, the grail, is not a cup you pour wine into. It's on a different plane. It's a spiritual thing. The grail, then it goes through Mary Magdalene, uh, through her neck, okay? So it goes. It has to do with Mary Magdalene and the sacred feminine and the fact that it was silenced, and then to Jesus' left hand, and then to the knot that says that the painting is dedicated to the secret tradition. Wow. And it's all right there in the painting. Well, there's so many paintings. In my alabaster jar book and also in... Um, the goddess, no, not that, oh, uh, Bride in Exile book. I put many um, plates of paintings from the Middle Ages that have important symbolism in them that um, clearly points to the fact that this, this story of Magdalene survived in the Middle Ages, but it was underground. It's like an underground stream, and it shows up in art and artifact. 
in the tarot trumps. I have a whole book about the tarot trumps and the Holy Grail. Um, it's, you can get it on Amazon.com. It's um, not so a very large book, but written? it's important. How many books um, have you written? Actually, I have six that I wrote by myself and one that I collaborated with a Jungian therapist to to write a um, workbook for women who wanted to gather in groups to explore their own spirituality using Mary Magdalene's life as a template for their own growth toward union with God. Oh, wow. It's a, it's a workshop book. Well, I mean, you can do it by yourself. It's a spiritual manual is what it becomes. So do you but do people, trips to France or... Or anything I, like I used that? to. You know, I, I'm I'm not as young as I used to be, and I haven't been back to France for several years. Uh, my last trip was actually to Brazil, of all places. But uh, I don't travel as much anymore because I kind of have to stick around closer to home because of my husband's health more than my own. I'm I'm strong, but he's got some problems, and I don't like him to miscount his pills when I'm gone. <laughs> it sounds silly, but I've been dedicated. We've been married for almost 50 years and five kids later, and I think... I owe it to him to kind of... And you've done so much already in the world with your books and and what you've brought forth, so maybe you can just kind of sit back and and enjoy life. I'm the grandmother of this thing. (laughs) I'm the grandmother who who is knitting now instead of traveling. (laughs) Someone someone called me and said, we need you to come over to France and we'll take you to all your favorite sites. And I said, you don't understand, my favorite sites are right here out my window. (laughs) (laughs) I really don't need to go anywhere. So anyway, yes, I've been. I've been in wonderful places, and I love the trips, but right now I'm kind of close to home. Okay. So what are your most important contributions to the ongoing discourse about Mary Magdalene? What are my most important? Okay, well, a couple of things. First of all, it's about her title, the fact that her title uh, equates her with the goddesses of the ancient world. The way they spell the Magdalene uh, adds up to 153, and 153 just happens to be a very important symbolic number among the ancient Greeks. And it's part of a fraction that was equated with the Vesica Pisces symbol, which is the Yoni, or the ancient symbol for the goddess. So she's actually tied, that, that whole thing ties her up. And I think it's mentioned in the Goddess in the Gospel book, but it's also, I wrote it uh, much more depth about it on uh, Magdalene's lost legacy, the symbolic numbers in Christianity. Oh, wow. So that book is important as well. Anyway, that's that's a very important thing. And also the whole idea of, of the uh, the dawn of the age of the fishes. And she's the vessel of the fish. The Vesica Pisces is the vessel of the fish. And Christ is the ichthus. So you have the two of them. I have this wonderful um, blog on my website. No, I think it's actually not a blog. It's one of the articles on my website. If you go to margaretstarbert.net and look across the menu, you're going to find one that says fishes. And it talks there about a, a symbolic painting, actually, from 1250 that you f- I found in the um, museum at Metz in France. And it has, Mary, uh, it has a mermaid and then Christ's face with a fish body. And he's in a circle and she's in a square. It's like the sacred marriage of the mermaid and the fish. It's, a, it's the Starbucks little mermaid with the double tail. And it's wow. an ancient symbol for the goddess deep-sixed at the bottom of the sea the Magdalene herself. She's the goddess of love, and he's the fish, and together um, they form the age of Pisces. You see, that's the point. It's the two fishes. And so if you go to that article on my website and read about the fishes, you'll discover that the um, the lord and lady of the age of Pisces were supposed to be Magdalene and 
Magdalene and the Christ. Not his mother, but his bride. Right. Wow. Yeah. It's interesting. Well, I want to thank you so much for being on our show tonight. And I want to thank you for all the the years of, of, of work that you've done in this area. It's like, oh, my goodness, it's like you have really, you stepped out there when when it was kind of dangerous to step out there. I did. I, did. <laughs> I can tell. And, um, well, my my maiden name was Leonard, which is like lion-hearted. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I guess that's where I got it. It was just, just something in me. Had, I just couldn't bear for it not to be the truth. I know. I well, and, and you have brought the lies truth anymore. through your books, and I hope that our readers will go on your website. It's, it's at margaretstarbird.net, did you say? That's right, margaretstarbird.net. And and um, look at her books and see if there's any that you want to have as a companion for your reading. So at this time, I'm going to leave you now, but I'm going to pass you over to Ariel, my co-host. And we do have a switchboard. Would you be able to maybe add, answer a few questions if we have people calling in? I can try. Okay. Okay, so sure. back to you, Ariel. And, and and Margaret, I'm going to have to leave now, but I will um I will contact you later. I would like to speak to you in private. All right. Thank you, Lavender. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay. Well, um actually we do have a a caller that's um already got a question, and for anyone that is listening on the computer, if you do have a question that you would like to ask of Margaret, the number to dial is 917-889-8292. And then once you're in, press 1 so that we know you want to come on the air. And if you're listening on your phone and you're already on the switchboard, then all you need to do is press 1. So um, as soon as this um, one caller gets out of the screening room, we will um, bring them online. But, you know, like Lavendar, I, every time you said certain things, um, I got chills. And that's just such a confirmation, you know, when you're hearing the truth. And it is definitely a truth that I think is gaining momentum as more and more people wake up and realize, as you did, you know, 30 years ago, that that, that there's some truth that has been omitted not only from yes. the Bible, but just from, denied. you know, organized yeah. religion. Yeah. So, yes, um, it was denied. Yeah. It was denied. And, um, okay, okay, our caller is almost ready. Um thought they were out yet, but not quite. Actually, we took a, we took a trip um, in 2012 to Rennes-le-Chateau in the south of France and Toulouse and, you know, walked in this, the uh, footsteps of, Mary Magdalene and the Cathars and went to a lot of sacred sites and some very little known sites. And mm-hmm. it's so true that I mean there's some special kind of energy and power in that area so just stand you can't even stand there without being affected by it unless you're a rock. <laughs> well, oh. we're not rocks. We're meant to be <laughs> influenced no, by that. No, no, but it is just a a very very powerful area. So, um, okay, our caller is out of the screen room, and her name is Carol. We're going to talk to Carol in just a second. Okay, Carol, you're on the air with Margaret Starbird. Go ahead with your question. Hello, Margaret. Uh, I met you one time when you were in Wisconsin at uh, 
see, Aquarian Gardens, and you signed my book, uh, my, the, oh, good. your book for me, The Woman with the Alabaster Jar. And I've read uh-huh. your book a long time ago, along with your other ones, and I'm very interested in all of this. Mary okay. Magdalene is very important for me also. And I did uh-huh. spend some time in France also with uh, Kathleen McGowan. And I'm okay. sure you're uh, aware of her. And when I went to the yes. sites there, it was very, very intense. Very intense while I was there. I also have a question. Do you have information of what I've gotten through my metaphysical studies is that Mary Magdalene was pregnant at the time of the crucifixion and then went to Egypt and lived there with the Coptic Egypt people for a while until she went to the south of France. Have you felt and that would be appropriate timing for the aging of Sarah at that point. Right. I suggested that actually in Alabaster Jar. That they had mm-hmm. gone to Egypt first, yes. So I do yes. believe that. And that's, and that's actually exactly with mine. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a wonderful passage in I think it's Isaiah. It says, "Out of Egypt I called my child." So it's almost mm. as if it's happened again. You know, it's like things repeated themselves in the Christian story that were prophesied in the Old Testament. Yes, yeah. So and I do believe that have... they started off in Egypt. Mm-hmm. And do you have any connections or any knowledge about the Cathars? Because the Cathars felt that they were teaching the true religion of Jesus and Mary Magdalene at that point, and they taught in pairs, in husband and wife pairs. And no, they, they actually they just mm-hmm. go ahead. They actually were not husband and wife pairs, though they were pairs of women and pairs of men. Ah, they went two okay. by two, but they were they were not married pairs. Normally, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a Cathar story is really strange, and I don't know all the all the details. I did write it up in my alabaster jar book to some degree, mm-hmm. um, because mm-hmm. it interested me that they allowed females to teach at all, which most people wouldn't in 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 medieval Europe. But the mm-hmm. other thing that got me most about the Cathars was the story of how they were destroyed really throughout that region by the French king and the Pope in the twelfth. Mm. Uh, 1200s. Do you remember the story of Bézier in 1209? Apparently, oh. they the <laughs> people in Bézier were besieged, and they went to the Church of Mary Magdalene to seek sanctuary. Uh, 300 or more of them, and they burned the uh, the besieging army burned the church down over their heads on Mary Magdalene's feast day. And the yeah. chronicler, several years later, wrote in his chronicles that this was. Divine retribution for the for the Cathars, um, what does he called it? Sacrilegious Her? assertion that Jesus and Mary Magdalene were lovers. Okay, so they're apparently uh, no, no, they're scandalous. Yeah, their scandalous teachings about Jesus and Mary Magdalene were that they were lovers, and this is that's the earliest actual statement that we found in literature or in in writing that suggests that that was one of the teachings of the Cathars. Yes, and they may actually have a book. They believe they have a book uh, that Sarah, St. Sarah wrote, and the actual original writings of Jesus. And I think that may be in the Vatican vault someplace <laughs> that we don't Well, I don't know anything about that. See. I haven't even heard about that, so I guess I'm missing out on that one. So. Yeah, that's uh, in Kathleen McGowan. Uh, I felt a lot of that when I was uh, there, particularly up in the cave, um, 
the one by St. Maximilian by uh, where she, her skull is, and then the other, I don't remember the name of the cave that, that we walked up that the kings would That's go up Saint to. St. Bomb? St. Bomb. St. Bomb, yes. Yes. Okay. And then okay. I had uh, a vision of that there, too. Uh, mm. so it was quite intense. Quite well, you've intense. had quite a journey, Carol. It's been an interesting yes. journey for you, too. <laughs> yes. And, a lot I, I, mm-hmm, and I, I'm so proud and so amazed at your strength of having spoken out so early. And I would like to congratulate yeah. you and say, give you my gratitude for that, for being able well, to thank be you. Magdalene's voice. Thank you. <sighs> thank you. Carol, ah. thank you for that. We thank appreciate, you. Your, appreciate your calling in and sharing that with us. Thank you, Ariel. Thank you. You're welcome. Take care, sweetie. Okay. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, you can feel how much she was touched and moved by you. Well, um, if, you know, if anyone else you know, it's has... it's not a, my story. It's Magdalene's story that well, does this to people. By, by the information that you bring, I should say. Um, if anyone else has a, a question or a comment for Margaret, remember to dial 917-889-8292 and then press 1 when you get in. And... Um, while we're waiting to see if we're going to have any other callers, is there something else that you would like to offer to our audience in um, either any of your books or studies? Um, you know, there's there's so many different things that you could could bring up. I mean, the the whole Eastern mysteries, the Bride of the Eastern mysteries, and how um, this ancient cult of fertility from the Neolithic times is reenacted. In the in our own gospels, yet no one recognizes it. They all think it it sprang full born from the head of whatever Yahweh, I guess. And in fact, it's so ancient, and it's all it's all about the union of the opposites and how that brings balance and harmony into our world. And that that was supposed to have been the model for our world, and it's constantly broken because people go out after power instead of love. And so so when, as long as the the emphasis is on power. I mean, there's so many female people even, if you think about female politicians in particular, they're not really about love. They're really about power. And that's, it's um, it's the power model that has broken us. I don't even know how to explain it, but we've gotten so out of balance. And in our Western society, because of the denial of the feminine, we've gone off with masculine images of well, if the masculine without the feminine, stripped of its feminine partner, the mas- masculine becomes hedonistic and materialistic and violent. Okay? Now, what religions can you tell me where this happens? And it's because of the worship of the masculine without its feminine partner. And that's such a, you know, it's like someone asked me if I'm angry. No, I'm not angry. I'm I'm in tears. <laughs> It's it's such yeah, a tragedy yeah. that our planet has suffered so much because the power was the model that we went with without its feminine counterpart. Well, anyway. in in our um, community and in the starseed work that we do, we see that and and we track the the bloodline from Jesus and Mary Magdalene because. Uh, 
uh, you may not be familiar with with Lavendar's work and discovery of star markings, but it is all it's coded within um, a birth chart, and following and tracking the bloodlines um, can be um, found in this in this natal chart. But the the real the real question is, what do they do now? And yeah. in you know, my opinion, there's a soul. No, go ahead. I'm sorry, Ariel. Go ahead. Because the, the bloodline by now has really grown, and you oh, know, yeah. multiplied. It. They are covering pretty much the planet. This actual bloodline, or the the Sangreal, as you, um, the Sangreal, yeah. You know, King Edward, the Plantagenet King of England in the 14th century, has something like 800 million descendants. And and that's from the 14th century. That's just in the last 500, 600 years. What about all the centuries before that? I mean, there must be just about everybody. In fact, they said that common ancestor, recently this came out in the newspaper, common ancestor of everyone on the planet is probably a Middle Easterner who lived in the first century. And I thought, well, why not Christ? You know, it's really, I mean, it's that widespread. You know, why not? You know, it was it was really a revelation. But the the um, oh, I had something else I wanted to say about that too. That was uh, that's important. Anyway, the fact is that just about everybody has at least some remnant of the bloodline, and that's not the important thing. The important thing is um, how do how do we live? How do we respond to the teachings of the gospel of serving others and and bringing forth um, joy and the other gifts of the spirit in, uh, in abundance and generosity and all the all the things that you associate with the best part of Christianity are all the the teachings of the way, the way of the heart, the way of of connecting with people and relationships. Anyway, right. um, unity, unconditional love, and and our own right. divinity. Right. And, all of and that. I think, that, yeah, I mean, all of these centuries. The bloodline has been propagating, um, spreading all over the planet, and waiting for a signal to wake up and restore this balance. And I really think that's what's happening now. And the, the front runners, like you, that opened the door and uh, were brave enough, would, yeah. to, you know, to do the work that you've done, is is part of that pre-ignition and the balance well, I feel like a I would, yeah go ahead yeah well, well through the thank feminine, you for the balance pointing that out. it it was pioneering work at the time because no one really thought that the women had much to do with the the origins of Christianity and it turned out they had everything to do with it so anyway I think I need to fold here because it's almost dinner time and I haven't made dinner yet. We're we're out in Puget Sound. Uh, look, well, I'm actually looking at Puget Sound. It made me w- worried when I heard about the tremors earlier. I'll have to go look up the tremors in our beautiful yeah, I think that the, water. Already, it already happened, and these are just you know the remnants. But it has just yes. been a pleasure to have you with us, and we are so grateful to you for the work that you do for the light that you hold on the planet and helping to really bring back the truth about the beloved of Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Ariel. I, lo- I love being with you. Give Lavendar a hug for me, too, and thank both of you for, for having me visit you.
Oh, it has certainly been our privilege and honor to have you with us. And um, one more time, your website is margaretstarbird.net, and we encourage you to go on and, and take a look at the um, all the content on the website from the blogs and articles to the books that she's got available because we have a lot of people um, that are going to be relating and resonating with this, I know for sure. So right. thank, well, you thank you so, so much, much. Margaret, for being with us. Yes. Thank you. And from all of us here at Starseed Radio Academy, thank you so much for joining us, and we will be back next week. And until then, take care and try to stay warm if you're up north. Good night, everybody. You've been listening to Starseed Radio Academy. Visit our website at www.starseedhotline.com. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.